Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode number 75 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Coates. And today marks an interesting uh, turn of events. So it's not only are there 75 episodes of this format, just me as a, as a host, but any longtime listeners know there's 150 episodes with my friend Dean. So really, it's like 225. But it's the first time we've had an Olympia champion on the podcast, which is kind of cool. And uh, if you're not yet familiar with Natalia Mella Wilson, she is the 2012 Miss Bikini Champion, Olympia. Uh, and but at the same time, she's also an evidence-based coach who is always working to learn, develop, uh, develop her brand, develop her career, and very much lives within what I consider the, the evidence-based community, which is, we were talking off air, is not always something that happens with people who have very high level competitive experience and, and accomplishment. So some, some of your background as well, you've been featured in Cosmo, uh, Shape Magazine, Oxygen, Muscle Fitness, Hers, and, and a bunch more. And you've worked really hard to build an online brand. So it's really great to have you on, Natalia. Thank you. So what, a, geez, what an intro. I want to walk you, like, I want to bring you with me everywhere I go. And whenever people ask me what I do, and I'm like, hold on a second. And then I'm like, Andrew, cue the intro. And then you do it. Mm. I'm oh. in. <laughs> no, I mean, thank you so much for that intro. I'm excited to be here. And I appreciate your words. Um, and, and yeah, I, um, I love learning um, and, and I appreciate that you said uh, the evidence-based piece because I do love learning. I think that uh, knowledge is one of the very few things that people can take away from you. They can take your business, they can take your body, but uh, they cannot take the knowledge from, from, from you. And um, that I take a lot of pride on that. And I think certainly in our, in our world, you see these posts it's like, oh, you know, just because you've done one bikini show doesn't mean that you can coach other people. And I mean, like, I get that message, but I don't find that message is super helpful because I find it's kind of gatekeepery and condescending. And quite frankly, if someone does a competition and they really love the idea of living in the world and they turn around and they're determined to learn as much as they can and it inspires them to become a coach, I say absolutely game on. Now, does it qualify them to then turn around and prep people right away? No, of course it doesn't. But if they're passionate about learning it, great. And you're rare because you, we do see a lot of people in the competitive world who coach, but like we were talking about, it doesn't seem like they're necessarily dedicated to ongoing education. It almost feels like it's the historical, traditional bodybuilding lore that's been handed down over generations. And that's not everybody, but people who are just committed to going to educational seminars the way you do seem like they're more rare in that world. And I just had Brett Bartholomew on the podcast. And so Brett, just in his, his discussion, mentions how he had an Olympia winner at one of his <laughs> seminars. And of course, I had you scheduled for, so I thought, I guessed, I, I took a guess and sure enough, he was actually referring to you because you were the only person I could think of who's won at Olympia who would literally be at a Brett uh, Bartholomew seminar. <laughs> it was an amazing seminar, actually. I'm very grateful. Um, yes, um, I, I, I I really... I don't, I don't even like, I just feel like it's very important to have, like, if I'm going to take people's money, I re, like, I, I, I like my money <laughs> and I respect people taking their hard earned money and investing it in me. So I think it is my duty to make sure that I'm providing them with the best service I can and to keep on investing on myself as a coach. Like if I'm sitting there, like, 
telling my my potential uh, clients that the importance of investing themselves and the importance of uh, uh, being not only emotionally invested but financially invested. How am I going to go out and tell them that if I'm not doing the same thing myself? It's a lot leading by example, and I enjoy learning. I really think that that it is incredibly important. And I'm stubborn as hell, so I don't like to lose an argument. So there's that. <laughs> and this theme of stubborn, I know it's come up a few times in some of the stories I've seen on your media. One of the great ones is kind of how you moved to the U.S. at 20. You're originally from Brazil. And with $350 in your pocket. And of course, that led to, you know, literally being crowned one of the highest achievements you can get in competitive fitness. So I was going to let you fill in some of the gaps on that story and maybe, maybe where that determination and resilience comes from. This is such a great question because I was actually having this exact conversation with my husband this weekend. Uh, because I feel like hard times can, can either make or break people. And I do believe that I've come very close to breaking several times. But I think that because I started training at such a young age, I mean, I, and, and I think that that's where the stubbornness started as well. Like at age 14, I told my mom, I'm like, I want to go to the gym. And then she's like, the hell you go, you're going? And I'm like, hold my beer. Um, so I literally saved my allowance for six weeks to be able to afford the month of gym membership. And I would take the bus because she would refuse to, to take me. So I would either walk like it was far, but I would either walk or I would take the bus if I had the money to pay for the bus. But it was just like, I wanted to prove that even though she said no, I was going to do it because it was important to me. So I really feel like that resilience since a, a young age. And then whenever I moved to the US, I don't like failure. And I know it's, it's not necessarily a great trait to have, like to always be aiming for like the greatest thing ever. I don't necessarily uh, think it is a good trait, but it has served me well in some aspects of life. So whenever I moved to the US, I lived in a place that it was awful. I literally had to put Ziploc bags in my toothbrush because there's so many cockroaches in the place that I rented that I was afraid that they were going to go in my toothbrush. So I had to put like Ziploc bags in a, a tie around it. It was awful. And, and now looking back, I don't think I would be where I am right now if you weren't for those challenging times. So what, what I think is that if you look at every not so good experience as, oh, like as a, a pity party opportunity, you're not going to grow. If you look at every, every upper, everything that happened to you that it wasn't so great as a learning experience and try to see something good that you can get out of that specific situation, that that is going to serve you a lot more. And I think that that's how I've always carried on with my life. Um, even like, for example, I really think that the resilience that you build in a weight room is a resilience that you can bring to other aspects of life, in business, in relationships, in parenting, and in, in like the consistency that you have to have. Like, I really believe that training is a life lesson in a controlled environment. I love that. Because, because, because in the gym, you are, you are always pushing to be uncomfortable. And whenever you start to get comfortable with being uncomfortable in that controlled environment that the gym is, it's gonna be a lot easy, easier 
or less difficult for you to become uncomfortable in other scenarios in your life. I mean, I've been pissed poor when I moved to the US to the point that I had to eat Wendy's dollar menu for like two months solid. And, and I, I'm not embarrassed of saying it because it's, it's, it's made me who I am. And looking back, whenever I've had tough times in more recent times, not like not financially, but just like in general, looking back and listen, if I survived that, you can rest assured that I can survive anything else. So I think that resilience is incredibly important. And I think with our media, we sometimes, actually, you're really good at you know sharing these elements of these stories. And I've noticed that very quickly. But I sometimes don't highlight some of the, the low points in my life or how I moved from Newfoundland. I mean, moving from Newfoundland is not Brazil uh, to Edmonton. But I had, like, I think it was like $8,000 in debt on a credit line, you know, after selling the business I had owned. And... You know, I was just really coming out of like a wild partying lifestyle. And I've just found this job at a casino, just dealing blackjack and poker, putting my head down and just kind of playing video games, then get my ass back into the gym after a little while. And I didn't have a car here for six months. So I was taking the bus and there were cold, Edmonton has cold, cold winters. And there were times where I think the first time I was looking for the bus to leave the, the casino, it was already after dark. And I went the wrong way. I couldn't find the bus stop. But I ended up walking for half an hour in this industrial park, thinking all I want to do is, is go back home. And whatever didn't let me give in and not wanting to face the, the shame of returning home and thinking I couldn't make it. Anyway, stuck, stuck with it, figured it out, bought a cheap car six months later, you know, worked to pay down the debt, you know, got really serious about the gym again after that brief hiatus. And then one thing led to another, did that job for a few years. Then the people at the gym that I worked at, worked out at kept hassling me to come work there in 11 and a half years ago I started a career that I never would have imagined would lead me to writing for muscle and fitness magazine which I remember seeing you in what you know I have these stacks of them in back home in Newfoundland from years and years ago my old friend Frank McGraw who used to go to the same gym as me be working out right next to him and he's a you know he's a famous he's competed in the Olympia before he's a famous bodybuilder and uh, I have stacks upstairs and it's just really cool to, to see how this can happen. I hope anybody listening to these stories kind of goes, all right, well, maybe I don't have it so bad, or maybe it just needs the patience to just keep working. And, and I, I'm a big believer in not falling prey to victim mindset. And what you described is, is not falling prey to victim mindset. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. A hundred times. Yes. I like, I don't like the whole victim mindset it literally drives me up the walls and you can see that in a lot of the 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 way that i communicate on my social media and and i really think that people are becoming so easily offended by everything and they feel so personally attacked by everything that you say and i'm like if you're feeling triggered is because you're telling yourself this bullshit excuse over and over again and that's why you got an emotional response to what i had to say um Oh, because you wouldn't know because, you know, like you, you don't have the life that I have. I'm like, you don't know my life. You see what you see on social media. Like, I'm not going to be like writing a novel about what my day is from six in the morning, but I have two kids. Like, and I, ha I had two C-sections. My husband and I have moved cross, cross like transatlantic with a nine month old and a one and a half uh, uh, year old from Ireland to the United States with absolutely no help. 
we basically gathered the money that we had and moved. And we're like, yellow, let's see what happens. You know, and, and we had no help. My husband was working 13 hours a day at the time. I was building my business at the time. And, and people are like screaming, oh, because like you wouldn't know because you have like so easy. And I'm like, like I have put myself in a position to have it a little bit easier and be able to outsource things now because I was able to be patient and sacrifice and, and have the discipline to show up even when I didn't feel like showing up in all aspects of life, that be, be that in the gym, be that in uh, like my, my business. When I first started, I thought that it was gonna be like the best thing since sliced bread because you know, like you always think that it's gonna be the best. And then I had crickets for like a month. And I'm like, oh, hold on a second. And then having the resilience to keep on going and people are easy to scream, oh, because you don't know what it is to work full time. And I'm like, what? I was working until one o'clock in the morning last night and I had to be up at 6 a.m. to take my kids to school. And, and this is not to make it about me, but I see every time that I make a post speaking about victim mentality, People are quick to think, oh, but for you, it's easy because fitness is your job. Oh, but for you, it's easy because you have help. Oh, because for you, it's easy because now you have the money. Yeah, I'm, I'm not rich. I'm not rich, but I have been pissed for. So like, I, I really think that, and, and the whole like doom and gloom, like, oh, wait until you get married. And then, oh, wait until you have kids. And, and it's always like waiting for you to fail. And, and that really bothers me. And that, that victim mentality of like, oh yeah, because everything's over because I had my kids and I, I put on weight because, you know, my kids, I'm like, no, your kids don't shove cake down your throat. Stop it. Like I am like, yes, it kills me. That's fantastic. Uh, that, that is glorious. There's so much <laughs> within all this stuff you said, and, and it, it goes right to some of the stuff I was going to ask you about. And I recently put up a post that I tagged you and a number of other fitness professionals who had a few Thank things. Uh, one was that you guys had large followings. And two, in a lot of ways, you had more image-based social media, right? Me, mm -hmm. anybody who sees my social media, I mostly post like tweet captions and, and text and what have you. And then if I have articles or podcasts or whatever, but I don't put a lot of photos of me up. That's fine. But we have this attitude that, ooh, influencers, this nebulous word, influencers, bad, people who look good in their photos. Oh, she won a Miss Olympia. She must be a vapid, you know, like bimbo type thing. And I, and you're nodding your head, like, absolutely. Like you've been getting this stuff. And I think what, one of the reasons why I made that post is here are a whole bunch of examples of people who I follow. Every one of them follows me and engages with me which is sort of crazy with these big accounts, but actually share really good evidence-based info. I don't know if you saw Dariana Nova, who was one of the people I tagged. She's got 700,000 followers. Uh, she has a huge following of women. She shares tons of very smart training stuff. And a lot of her media highlights, you know, the atypical, like the, the, the female body that's not always in the old Cosmo magazines, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And she, women of all shapes and sizes and, and ethnic backgrounds. And she has absolutely positive, kind, wonderful media. And she is credible. And I really like her stuff. And it's like, hey, people, maybe not everybody wants to 
they choke down my tweet posts. Maybe they want to see image-based stuff. And if you can also have that with really credible training or nutrition stuff, mm -hmm. then you're actually going to reach a lot of people. So let's throw it back to you. And how do you navigate, you know, differentiating yourself with integrity against these stereotypes of these negative stereotypes about quote influencers? This is such a great question. And it's a great question, especially after I attended Brett's workshop, because I started to realize that every time that somebody, uh, like nothing normally triggers me. Like as far as like, I mean, I, I, let me rephrase that. If you look at me like Natalia, you're fat and ugly. Uh, you're fat and ugly. I, I'm like, okay, cool story, bro. Like whatever. That, that's not going to help. Like, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. If somebody says that I am incompetent or that I am dumb, that right there, it's a trigger. Like that, that, that bothers me. Um, and that is something that I am personally working on, but I had never realized until I attended Brett's workshop and we were talking about communication and things like that and he, and he asked me like flat out after I picked his brain bless his soul hi Brad thank you you're the best love you uh because bless honestly I pestered him so much um but he was like why does it bother you and, and that was like my come to Jesus moment and I do think that it is because so like there is a perception that women who look a certain way on social media are going to be dumb and there is a lot of that, even when you're negotiating contracts and things like that within the fitness industry, that like, I'm not saying like, I'm not like, I'm not saying that men are terrible, but a lot of times men will speak to women that have that kind of content on social media, like we're fucking stupid. I'm like, bro, like, no, like when it comes to like educational stuff or even like marketing stuff and things like that, like trying to mansplain things to me. Like, I don't know, like an email list, you because do you know what an email list is? And I'm like, what? And, and, and I think that, that, that looking down at my competence, it's, it's what like gets, and it's something that I'm personally working on and I'm kind of like learning to let it go because as I grow as a professional, I'm really, I'm really focusing on understanding and respecting the value that I know I can bring and um, I'm seeing firsthand every single day the positive impact that I'm having on the, the moms and the women that uh, choose to work with me. You know, like people are quick to like put on social media, like, oh, man, you're such a bitch. Because the way, well, I might not be your cup of tea. I, I'm, I'm going to be sleep just fine. People, and, and I'm big on this, like people will self-select to your media and your message. And one of the things that I never understand is these people who are determined to go around and policing what other people are saying and doing on the internet. It's like, dude, it's not for you, right? Fuck off, really. Uh, and you mentioned- <laughs> Kindly, fuck right off. Right Bye. Uh, I did block these people. I had someone say something vicious just yesterday on my, um, and I found this, it was a hidden comment. And I randomly found it. I'm like, what the hell? This is terrible. I wouldn't even, I didn't even screenshot. I didn't even want to like burn the image in my mind. I just blocked the person. And, but bring that back. I don't want to even think about that. Um, with your media, a lot of your clientele and a lot of your stuff is for moms, right? It's, it's pre-postnatal yeah. uh, coaching for moms, that sort of stuff. You want to kind of go into that a little bit more and 
again, we'll tie it into the media and the imagery of your social media and how you appeal to that demographic. This is a great question um, because here's the thing. A lot of times people ask me, I mean, as an Olympia winner, what would be the like natural direction that I, I should have, could have, and would have technically go when it came to the coaching space, you'd be to coach competitors. But just a little, to back it up a little bit, and I don't want to go on a tangent, but just to give some context. When I was in Brazil, I left Brazil halfway through law school. In Brazil, uh, law school is a bachelor's degree, and I got in law school at around 17 years old. So it's about four years, four and a half years. So I was roughly at uh, halfway through. Um, then I moved to the U.S., so whenever I start to compete and people are like, oh, you know, like you should coach competitors and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, if I were in this with the sole purpose of making money, I would have become a lawyer because it's a more, I mean, it's hard work, but it's a more secure kind of, but it wasn't my passion. And you like, whenever, the more I studied, the more I, like I started to do internships in the courthouse and things like that. And it just wasn't like, it just didn't give me the butterflies. So whenever I, I won the Olympia and people are like telling me to start coaching competitors and I'm like, no, it, because it's not a hell, no, like if it's not a hell, yeah, it's a no. So, and, and that is one. And the other one is that as somebody who competed, I am well aware of the negative side, the dark side of competing and the fine line that is walked between the healthy and the unhealthy. And I knew that as my career progressed, I was already dating my husband. We were about to get, like, I was about to move to Ireland to be with him. And so I knew the direction in which my life was going. And I knew that that lifestyle of competing was not going to align with the direction that my life was going. So I didn't feel emotionally prepared. I I didn't feel like from an educational standpoint, I didn't want to be like a whole bunch of jackass coaches out there. They're just copy and paste their, their new plan that their coach from 50 years ago gave to them and giving to everybody and their mom. I didn't want to be that. And, and I didn't want to put my, those people who trusted me with their money in a dangerous position because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And it wasn't a hell yeah for me. So if it was a hell yeah, it was a no. So I, I have never in my life coached a competitor. I did like posing prep and stuff like that. So whenever I became pregnant with my son in 2016, I started to realize that there was a gap of education, of guidance, and of just like real content around motherhood, especially from somebody who was coming from such a high level of competing. And just being honest about the physical changes, about how difficult it is to accept those changes, about how, um, like how my training changed. And on that same note, because I didn't have the education, I was like, you know what? If I'm going to put myself out there on my social media platform to speak to over 200,000 people about training during pregnancy, I have the moral responsibility, even though I have been training. Now at 38, I've been training for 24 years. Whenever I got pregnant, uh, five, six years ago, five years ago, I was like, I, I still had been trained for about 20 years, so like 19 years, but I didn't feel prepared to speak about training during pregnancy 
in a way that I was sharing accurate and safe information. So I felt a more responsibility. So I started to learn about that. And, and I really felt the need to speak in a way to moms that they felt seen, but like a bit like a big sister scene. Like, yo, I know it's hard as hell, but that's enough. Like, let's go get it together kind of stuff. Because I also had two kids back to back. I felt pregnant with my daughter when my son was four and a half months. So like I went through what a lot of, not many women go through with pregnancies back to back. So I do feel that that struggle gave me an extra arsenal on time management, on like the resilience, on the discipline and all of that. And my husband was playing professional sports at the time. So his schedule was all over the shop. So. And let's go into the, the education around uh, women in pregnancy and postpartum. There, there are some great resources out there. And thankfully, I've got uh, Molly Gelbraith coming on the podcast in the very near future. She's scheduled. I got to meet her and hang out with her in Florida. Same time, I got to hang out with Brett Bartholomew again. A lot of the industry was there. And I think there is something to be said where I take women a little bit more credibly than I do men if they're the ones educating. Now, coaches can learn these skills, but if they're educating about pregnancy, and women's hormones and that's like that whole umbrella and especially mm-hmm. on the hormonal side there's not a there, there are more coaches who are becoming more credible but traditionally there hasn't been a whole lot out there and mm-hmm. one of the the authorities i'll put quotation finger quotes uh is a guy who i have no respect for and i won't say any names but it's just someone who most of the industry has had mostly negative experiences with we'll leave it at that so I don't endorse that individual as a place to go learn about women's hormones. So anybody who's a no will know I'm talking about. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> anyway, um, do you have any other resources? And what would you what would you say to coaches who are trying to learn more about you know women's um, you know reproductive health and from the training side from what you offer in your media and resources? Um, I, I really, I highly would recommend Brianna Battles, which, uh, Brianna, I actually met Brett through Brianna. Very, like very knowledgeable. Um, she has the course as well. Um, good people. Um, how do I, how do I say, what's her last name? Battles, B-A-T-T-L-E-S. Okay. I've totally heard of her. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Brianna, Brianna, like good people, like very knowledgeable. I've done her course. I've I've attended her workshop when she came to Dallas, um, introduced me to a lot of good people too, like Brett. So I, I, I I really like her stuff. And, but I think that one of the biggest problems when it comes to coaching pregnant women and postpartum women is the lack of understanding between can and should, and this is something that I talk very often on my social media platforms is, oh, can I like do sprints and like box jumps and, you know, like headstands and, you know, like get swole. And they take like pride in pushing the limits in a season of life that you have absolutely nothing to prove to be quote unquote a badass. And just because you can, you know, hit your PR on your, uh, on your deadlift, on your squat, whatever it is, 
it doesn't mean you should, not because I'm trying to tell you as a coach what to do or what you shouldn't do, but like that's kind of my job, but also because there is a lot of things that are not taken into account when we are discussing the can versus should. We need to talk about um, pelvic floor health. We need to talk about pressure management on your abdominal cavity that is under a lot of stress and that extra pressure that is going to come from hitting a PR and doing all those kinds of things are going to negatively impact not necessarily the pregnancy per se, but it can impact your recovery. It can uh, impact your, your physical appearance after if your physical appearance is something that it is incredibly important to you. And I assume that anybody listening to this, it kind of is. And uh, uh, so keeping those things in mind and whenever there is the message of like, oh, you just need to listen to your body. What the hell are you listening for? Like literally, like if I were to listen to my body when I was pregnant, I would cake and sleep every single day for hours. <laughs> so, and, and like most women don't even know what their pelvic floor muscles are or kind of like they kind of have an idea of where they're located because of the name but they don't know what they do what they're there for so i really think that the lack of education and the whole like oh just listen to your body is it's leading women to make um not so smart choices when it comes to exercise selection and um approach to their fitness during and after pregnancy, just because they want to quote unquote, be a badass. But you need to understand that pregnancy is just nine and a half months. I mean, I'm pretty sure you can survive without going balls to the walls for those, those nine and a half months. And it's not me trying to be preachy, but it's just because I have seen firsthand the, 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 I don't even like to say consequences because a lot of those things you cannot hundred percent control. And that's the thing with pregnancy, but try to manage the things that might be under your control. Like you cannot control how big your belly is going to get and how big your baby is going to be. It's completely out of your control. So there is going to be that stretching of the fascia. I'm getting fancy pants here, but bear with me. Like off the fascia on your abdominal muscle, it's going to stretch because there is a baby there. So are you going to add more stress on top of the already stressed mechanism? And, and if you can control it, like, is that a smart move? So I think that we need to talk a little bit more about those things. So women can start to make educated choices when it comes to their training during and after pregnancy. This ties into something I posted about recently too. And it, the post was about osteoporosis and training, but I also mentioned kind of pregnancy with it a lot of times physicians especially general practitioners don't always have depth, great depth of knowledge here now i'm not saying don't listen to doctors i'm saying go find one that actually knows this stuff but if you have clients who have osteoporosis because sometimes the doctors will discourage women from lifting weights if they have osteoporosis i have a client who has osteoporosis Just, we're careful with her uh you know she eases into things she loves lifting and it's one of the most important things we could possibly do is to mineralize their bones. we got to be really smart about it, right? You can do crazy stuff. Shouldn't be probably doing one rep maxes on barbell exercises, but it's very easy for a doctor 
with osteoporosis and with pregnancy to cover their own ass and say, well, you shouldn't lift weights. And if they say that, then the person is out of immediate harm of potentially something happening. Uh, no one wants to talk about the frequency of miscarriages. And I don't know the statistics, but it's something that people don't talk about. They happen. Very, very common in our society. So let's say it, two women, the doctor tells both not to work out. One works out, has a miscarriage. One doesn't work out, has a miscarriage. Well, there's no way to prove, and there's, I don't think any research that points to any increased risk of a miscarriage when you're lifting weights. It probably, certainly it seems to have a, a better outcome for mother and baby physically if you're active during pregnancy. And I believe that's a, a factual statement. I can't support that with, with specific research. But it's very easy for the doctor to turn around and, well, you know, hey, you lifted weights, therefore. So it's very easy for doctors who don't understand these things to say, just a blanket to scourge people. So in that particular situation, what would you do? Correlation and causation, like correlation and causation, like just because one thing happened, like I ate a burger across the street, got run over by, by, by a car. Did I get run over by the car because I ate the burger? Like, you know, so I, I, I it's, it's, it can be very challenging because ultimately it is outside my scope of work to go over what a doctor says. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things, even like in my coaching programs and the personalized coaching programs. And that's not, that's probably something that I should talk about. Like I stay within my scope. I have a registered dietitian on my team. I have a counselor on my team because I work with a lot of moms who used to compete and come into motherhood with disordered eating around food and like mindset work. So we have a counselor on the team because I don't have the, it's outside my scope, just in plain English. It's not, it's not my job. And um, I would be doing my, my clients a disservice by trying to handle that on my own because it's, it's, I can't, it's just, I don't have the knowledge for it. So, um, Whenever it comes to somebody coming to me like that with, I would probably recommend that they got a second opinion if training is very important to them, because I do believe that I, I feel like many doctors at times, again, not saying all doctors, I'm, I mean, some doctors who are not uh, well-versed on exercise, they forget to look at a mother from a holistic point of view they just look at a mother as a vagina in a baby that's going to come out of it or from somewhere else, either or. So, and, and they forget that there is a person that has things that she likes to do. And if training is a big person, a big part of that person's life, what kind of negative impact removing that thing out of her life would have in her overall health? mental health, physical health, and all of it. So it's almost like talking about the cost benefit of completely removing, given that there are no serious reasons to ask her to stop. Um, so I really think that if something like that happens to me, I would recommend my client to speak to another professional, which actually happened with a pregnant client of mine right now. She was diagnosed with a hernia while pregnant uh, umbilical hernia and they're already talking about like and you're gonna have to get surgery and it's gonna be a mesh and like they're trying to give her like the most invasive way of addressing and again outside my scope of work to a certain extent 
However, I'm like, Natalia, your coach, I can go over what the doctor says. I can help you manage depression in your abdominal cavity as we're trying to uh, get you to the end of your pregnancy. Natalia, your coach and friend, I'm going to still do that, but I also would recommend that you spoke to somebody else and I can get some names for you and I can get some professionals that I think are going to support you because I know that training keeps you from killing your husband, which is always a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you pointed out about holistic. There's so many ways that this applies. Now, I don't want to go too far down this one because this one gets people wound up, but the fact that all these gyms were shut down over the various parts of the last two years your eyes just went wide right and it's like okay this one thing is the only thing that really exists and and the hell with whatever other consequences come from it and we all know that going being able to access fitness and yes i know there are ways to do fitness outside of the gym but i find the message and even i found some fitness professionals really beat this ideological drum and they're like you do not need a gym to be fit. And I'm like, well, that's very tone deaf because we know that these skills aren't transferable across different things. So the same thing for a pregnant woman to say, oh, don't work out, but you can walk. Well, maybe it that's a woman who spent the first six months of her time exposed to fitness struggling to step into the door of a gym. Maybe she couldn't get out of the car. She drove there. I've had female clients who drove up to the gym and couldn't step in the door. And that was the early part of their journey. And maybe it took <clears throat> a lot for her to get comfortable in that gym environment. And maybe after a few years of really entrenching that habit, and you turn around and say, no, you can't do this anymore. You need to go do this. And it's an insensitive and thoughtless, and, and it, it is purely a political ideological thing. It is, it is not coming from a place of an empathetic coach. And I saw that kind of stuff and I thought, this is really tone deaf stuff. And this makes me sad that people who I who profess to otherwise really care about the health, mental, physical health of the people we're trying to help have instead made their media kind of a sounding board for this kind of crap. So I, I took a very dim view on that. Anyway, and, and I think it applies when it comes to pregnancy as well. So I, I like that advice. Anything else on navigating your big media following and, and what would you say to other coaches who aspire to build larger followings, aspire to be leaders and educators in our space and, and how to navigate it? any lessons from your experience? Oh God, do you have all day? I'm just yeah, kidding. Have some time. Uh, have some time. Um, Go for so it. I think that the first, the first thing is that people try to be, people are scared, like, because there is so much scrutiny on social media that people are scared and afraid of speaking their truth. Uh, because everybody like, and this is gonna, I'm not pro-violence. I'm gonna preface it with this, but social media has given uh, people's ability to say whatever they want and not be smacked in the face. And, and it's true, everybody feels comfortable to hide behind a keyboard and say what they wanna say but I almost 100% guarantee that they wouldn't have the balls to say that to my face. So like, and that's one thing, like every time that I post something in, and I take a lot of pride whenever people come to me and they're like, oh my God, you are literally the same person online that you are 
in person. And I'm like, good. Because I really, I don't, when I talk too much to be two people, like I wouldn't be able to keep up having like a social media persona and then being me. Like I talk too much. I can't, I couldn't, I wouldn't, managing two people would be a bit too much for me. And um, so I really think that it is important to truly be you and speak your truth. Some people are going to like it. Some people are not going to like it. And that's okay. Because ultimately you want to attract your people. And I really noticed that when I started to change a little bit the language, like I, I was looking at the people in the space and I was like, oh, I'm going to change a little bit of the language on like the way I speak, blah, blah, blah. And I am like, I, I would be a bit more of a straight to the point kind of person. Like I do, ha do not have in me to be like a bit of wishy-washy kind of like, you know, like, oh yeah, how is it day? It's so beautiful kind of stuff. Like not me. So like, let's talk about like changing the role. That's the type of conversation that I like to have. So I changed the language and I start to attract a type of clientele that I hated working with. <laughs> oh, I broke my nail. I can't go to the gym. I'm like, what the fuck? Like what? Oh yeah. You know, like my nail broke. I had to go see my nail lady. Yeah. I'll go tomorrow. Like I, I struggle to, to work with, with somebody like this. And I'm not saying that it is right or wrong. It's just not my people. And I think that whenever you accept who you are and who you are happy to serve, it makes, it makes your job a lot better. It makes your content a lot more honest and, and it makes your, your following a lot more loyal because you're really speaking not only your truth, but their truth. And I think that, that there's something big in that. You hit on something really big. I, I often wave around a book called Book Yourself Solid by a guy named Michael Port. And the early part of the book is really what you just talked about. It's knowing who you like to work with and then to the best of your ability, attract and work with those people because your emotional energy will be better. You'll filter out the type of people that you find really draining or really unpleasant to deal with. And we've, anyone who's been around long enough knows the type of people you want to work with and, and who you don't. It's not about these micro niches. I think that stuff's kind of stupid. But for me, I don't want to work with competitors. I've never gotten up on stage. I, I, I don't want to do the competitor thing. Uh, I occasionally will get a... a a woman who is coming out the other side of a bad experience with their emotional relationship with nutrition. And like you, I refer things out. I refer, I don't tackle eating disorders or some of these other like complicated things. I don't prescribe nutrition to treat disease. I got registered dietitians for that. I got physiotherapists for their role, mental health counselors for their role. I believe in that stuff too. And it can be really good assets to your career. And I've never competed as a power lifter. So there are certain key skills for prepping someone to optimize a meet that I'm also not skilled at. And it would take a lot for me to go and get those skills compared to where I am. So I like working with the general population. I work like, like uh -huh. working with older adults and young athletes and I'm happy there. And that's still fairly broad. And, and yes, that. And I think that whenever you become very clear and confident on who you like to work with and who you do not like to work with, it just like it literally like it just it just 
comes organically. People reach out to you and they're like, I want to work with you. And you want to work with those people. And like, sometimes some people fall through the crack. Like two months ago, I literally a month in, I refunded somebody six months worth of coaching. She paid six months up front, three weeks in. I'm like, I can't do it. Nope. My piece, it's not worth what she's paying me. I woke up the next day, wrote her an email. Thank you so much for the opportunity. We kubu, but no thanks. Your money should be hitting your account five business days because that's how long my credit card processor takes to refund. And, and like, I'm not being a snob. I'm just like, I just respect my boundaries. And it's taken me a long time for that. I respect my boundaries and I respect my peace because if I'm working with people who drain my soul, my family is going to suffer. And I'm doing what I'm doing to be able to provide, like obviously help women and help people and, and bring them to a place where they never thought that they would be again in their lives. And, and that's very rewarding. But that can come and go at any time. My family is always going to be here. And, and, um, and if I'm giving so much to people who are sucking my well-being, my energy, my soul, my everything, I'm going to come to my husband. I'm going to come to my kids with nothing left. And there is no price tag to that. There is absolutely no money in the world that can pay for it, that, that can buy my peace. And there's a fine line within this too. We've all had those clients who are perfectly adherent. They do everything we say. <laughs> I know where this is going. <laughs> They're low maintenance, right? They're easy to work with. They're unicorns. And, and then coaches think, well, that's who I want to work with. First of all, there's not enough of them to ever fill your business. <laughs> and two, those people also, you don't have to coach those people. They, they're just, they're looking for someone to give them some structure. You're going to do a great job with it. And they're, they could pick any coach out of the phone book and they would follow a plan and get great results. Those people are wonderful. It's great to have some of them. But the real fulfillment is finding the people who are the great fit for you, who you are enriched and fulfilled by coaching, but who need you to be there to listen, to help guide them to come to the decisions and the answers that, because they know themselves better than we know them, right? That's the premise of motivational interviewing, which I'm big on. And that's a really good feeling at the end of the day that is one of the reasons why we do this career. Um, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but in, before it goes out of my brain, but, um, and it's funny you say that because often like whenever I'm talking, I talk to women, like for you to sign up with coaching for me, I need to get in two calls with you. It takes a, like it's a, it, there is an application, there is a conversation and then there is a phone call and then there is a zoom call. It's a lengthy process because I need to protect my sanity in my piece. And I want to work with people who really want to be helped, not somebody who just want to soundboard to do bullshit. So I, um, and, and I'm always like, I'm seeing over and over again, women always talking about the same thing. Like there are women out there that haven't taken pictures with their kids and their kids are going in two years old. There are women out there that don't take their kids to the park because they're embarrassed of their bodies. There are women out there that won't go to a, uh, a park wearing shorts or anything. Like they just won't go to the beach. Um, there are women that haven't had, this is going to get too much information, but, but they haven't had sex with their husband in like a year and a half 
because they're so miserable and so unhappy about the way they look. So whenever I start to speak my truth on my social media about how not changing is being detrimental to these women's life, well-being, family life, and everything, oh, you're so harsh. No, I'm not harsh. I'm speaking the truth because I'm speaking to these women every single day. Oh, you, you're just in it for the money. I'm like, trust me, if I wanted money, I would have been a lawyer. Thank you. Have a seat. So the, like I had a lady who before she signed up with me, she hadn't had sex with her husband for a year and a half. Six weeks in, she sends us an email to tell us that they had some hanky panky. You know what I mean? Like that is like, if that is not changing lives, I don't know what is like changing lives, changing marriages. Like I finally booked the, the, the family photo shoot that I have been postponing for two years to create memories with my kids. So I think that that's one thing that, that, that bothers me whenever I'm speaking about what I see women struggling with every single day. And people say, oh, you're, you're just too harsh. And I'm like, I'm not harsh. I'm speaking with these women every single day. And I literally will stop my day to get on a phone call with them if there is something like that I can do. But you can only help those who want to be helped. And that's just how it is. And none of your media is shame-based or, or negative or any of that sort of stuff. And we have this tribe and everybody listening kind of knows what I'm talking about that and I find them quite malevolent. I actually, and I don't use that word lightly that I'm sure show up at your door and attack you, go right at you. And their, their thought process is no, these women are supposed to be happy and we're going to try to, yeah. Oh yeah. There you're, you're excited. Uh, they're supposed to be happy this way. Now, if there are women who ultimately that message resonates with them, they will find those messengers. Great. Awesome. The people who want help are going to self-select to you. And I'm comfortable with both worlds existing as long as no one is using shame-based language. Now, the irony is, is these people tend to be pretty nasty people when they find messages that doesn't agree with their ideology. And so I'm kind of like, hmm, so you guys are bullies. You guys are bullies yeah. under the guise of, you know, this, this moral high ground you think you have. You know what I call that? Toxic body positivity. There you go. Like it is, it is like literally what I call um, like my son. You're supposed to be happy. I'm like, but they're not. So stop telling women how they should, could, would have feel. It's not your job to tell women how to feel. They are entitled to their feels. And if they're not feeling happy about how they look, they are in control of change. And saying that loud and clear is not wrong. So stop shaming women. Like, and even whenever I'm talking to women, they're like, oh, like, you know, like, I, I know this is a bit vain, but is that how you want to look? You want to look hot as hell when you, you know, go on a date night with your husband. That's not vain. That's human. And you're entitled to feel your feels. And, and like making women feel guilty for wanting to, to change, it just baffles me. Absolutely. And there's another good point in all this too. That's why you're really important to be out there as an evidence-based coach who bring this full circle is always looking to learn is there are bad faith actors and marketers and people who will prey upon the insecurities of vulnerable women. Absolutely. They exist and there's plenty of them. So if they have people who have their best interests at heart and who 
come at this from a sustainable lifestyle behavior to change your lives for the better. I think those people are important and we want to know that they're out there instead of being shouted down and, and driven away because they don't conform to somebody else's rigid and extreme ideology. I 100% agree. And I think that the key word there is like simplicity. Um, like most of the ladies that come to me, I like whenever they get their plan, they're like, uh, that's like, that's it. And I'm like, you don't need more than that. Like, trust me, if you have 40 pounds to lose, start there. We start to get fancy whenever we, it stops working. Oh, but what about like the carb cycling and, you know, like in, in the splits, do I have to have extra carbs? That, that, that I'm like, no, you need to go to the gym, train until about to die, go back home, eat within these guidelines right here, and you're going to be okay. And, 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 and it's just so simple. And one thing that I'm noticing over and over again is like, but like, but like, why, why like, you know, like, are we doing low fat and like cycling calories and like reverse dieting and like I'm in starvation mode and I'm like, stop it, stop it. What is my cheat meal? Because, you know, like I'm very depleted and I'm like, you've been living in a state of cheat meal for the past three years. You're okay. Just follow the plan. Like right here. You're good. Oh my God. So I, I think that, uh, that's great. I have to write that down. They stayed off uh, cheat meal for the past three, but it's yeah. true though. And I think that um, the reason why people can stick to a plan is because everything's so complicated. Like as a mom of two kids with a family and who works God knows how many hours a day, like I don't have time to be like, oh yeah, because on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, it's going to be like 222 grams of carbohydrates. And then on the other days, I'm going to reduce the carbs. Like I ain't got no time for that. And I like wine and I like ice cream. So there is that too. So see, that is a staple part of my diet. This is reasonable. And I, I can see why women would feel they would flock to this message, right? It keeps it simple. It's, it's not extreme and it's hopeful, right? It gives them mm -hmm. hope that they can see change that they ultimately they equate with happiness. And I don't think it's like you said, it's not for us to police what they should think. I, I think where did we ever get this idea? We should be telling people what they should think. Holy shit. Like what, and as you said, <laughs> how they feel about things is valid, right? So let's not invalidate it. Let's share with everybody how to find you on your website, your social media, so they can dive into more of your stuff. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Um, so if you want to find me on the socials, I'm very consistent across the board is Natalia and a T H A L I A mellow M E L O fit. FIT on Instagram. And that's the same on my Facebook page. And that is my website as well, nataliamelofit.com. Um, I have loads of free resources. If you want to check it out on my, uh, on my Instagram, there is like free plant, not my Instagram, well, my Instagram as well, a link to my website, um, free plans, uh, links. Um, just so, I mean, I know it's hard for you to be like, mm, I'm not sure if I like that person. So whenever you start to become familiar with the style of things that I do, and um, follow me on the grams. And if you follow me on the grams, uh, make sure you send me a DM and tell me that you heard me on Andrew's podcast. Please guys do that. Absolutely connect with Natalia. And uh, so one of the goals, so something we've got coming up and ultimately it should work out is we're gonna to put together an article for Teen Nation together. And Natalia is gonna do some videos for something I'm gonna write. So everybody look out for that. 
and um, we'll we'll see about what more we can do in the grander scheme of the industry to promote you and and see you thrive. Everybody listening, if you have found my podcast for the first time through Natalia's media, well, if you scroll through all of my previous guests, you'll find people like Brett Contreras, uh, you'll find Brett Bartholomew, you will find Mike Isertel, uh, you will find a lot of the muscle doc Jordan Shallow. And I think a lot of the other people across the industry that you like and uh, you've learned from. So hopefully that means you'll stick around, check out a few more episodes and uh, maybe you'll even subscribe. Thanks so much, everybody. And thank you, Natalia. Thank you so much.